You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, welcome to the Get Fucking Real Show. I'm Lisa Cherney. I'm your host. And today we are talking to fathers. And really, we're talking to people that are in relationships where there is financial commingling and codependence of funds and family and those kinds of things. So let me ask you a question. If the person you're in a primary like financial relationship with suddenly died, would you be prepared? Would you know where their safety deposit key is? Where'd you know the passwords to their accounts? Would you be prepared? Jay Gabrani is our guest today. And he, although he was an accountant or is an accountant and a real estate investor and the key financial person in his relationship with his wife, when she suddenly died in 2014, he realized how extraordinarily unprepared he was. At the time, his kids were five, seven, and nine, and he was thrust into their world in a big way and also thrust into being the executor of his wife's estate, which he thought, no problem, like, I'm a financial guy, I could do this. And he had a big wake-up call. This is just the most beautifully orchestrated GFR wormhole, your struggle has a purpose story because he now helps empowers fathers to secure their financial future for their family through his company called Prepared Fathers. He achieves this through one-on-one and group coaching programs, and he does a daily podcast called A Minute with Jay. And, you know, despite several challenges, you know, along the way in his life prior to the passing of his wife, you know, he had built multiple seven-figure real estate portfolio, and he says that he really focused mostly on the financial impact of whatever entrepreneurial decisions that he made. Now, after this incident, this completely life-changing experience he had, he took a multi-year sabbatical to deal with this heartbreaking tragedy. And in that sabbatical, which he thought was just going to be a couple of years, turned out to be four years, is really where he birthed this new mission. And he just speaks so beautifully and shares so vulnerably about the details around the passing of his wife. And it wasn't something easy like cancer, even though it's not easy as that sounds. There was a lot messier than that. And I think that it will 
give you a bit of a wake-up call. If my intention is that gives you a wake-up call around your financial preparedness. And I share, I confess about, you know, where my family is with all that and what my deepest fears are around, you know, losing my husband and, you know, something happening and all that. So it's a very important conversation we're having today. And without further ado, Jay Gabrani. Jay Gabrani, welcome to the GFR podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. Great to be here with you, Lisa. I knew I had to have you on the show when we were at that conference and I heard the first couple lines of your introduction talking about your wife passing and your business called Prepared Fathers. And I just, I don't know, bad to say, but it's such a refreshing perspective to hear a man really talking about just a really profound inner journey that they've had, especially I know coming from the financial world that you were in, which could be very masculine and sort of buttoned up and got to have my shit together and all that. And you have such a great energy about you. So I'm excited for my guests to get to meet you, know you. Fantastic. Yeah. Looking forward to uh, talking more and adding some value to your audience for sure. Yeah. So we're all about our GFR wormhole stories here and struggle has a purpose. But right off the bat, we could tell people that your favorite GFR commandment was number four, trust that your struggle serves. And anything you want to say about that? No, I think as we get into our talk a little bit more, I think your audience will totally understand what Prepared Fathers, the mission behind it, and the experience that led to it. I think your audience will totally understand why I picked commandment number four. Okay, perfect. Let's jump in then. So paint us a picture of what it was like in what we call before. (laughs) Yes, before. So I mean, like, very simple, like a lot of other people, just a nice, ordinary experience, you know, born and raised Toronto, did well in school, all that stuff. Got married in uh, 2004, and basically, Lisa, right away, pretty fast, with three kids, 2005, 2007, 2009. Wow. So really, really busy. Let's just say that when we talk about kind of the roles in the household, I was definitely kind of the outwardly focused economic slash business slash real estate investing spouse, and my wife was super busy with the children and, let's say, the home and domestic stuff. So kind of a traditional, conventional type of a relationship. But yes, certainly the wormhole, that gives you a little bit of background. And, you know, just things really, really busy. I'm going to take you back to 2011. My wife had a a small little slip and fall accident. Okay. And with that slip and fall, the next day she went to the doctor and the doctor prescribed her Oxycontins. All right. So these, for the audience who might not know, are just super nasty, very addictive painkillers. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened is my wife developed an addiction to like the point where it was very serious. And you throw in the fact, Lisa, that there's three young children in the family and she was super busy with them. Let's just say that it was a a very tough scene for her. It was very difficult for her to manage things that she was doing normally. She had never touched a painkiller. Things that she was doing normally, the first like, you know, seven, six, seven years of our marriage, it all changed. So you mix in some depression as well because of, you know, throwing young children. It was a Molotov cocktail of experience. And that basically kind of the wormhole was, is that I lost my wife in 2014. And, you know, she was only 41 years old. A lot of people ask, well, what happened? And, and now this is the part of the story that is, uh, it's tougher to tell, but I think the audience needs to hear it. And I share it because I value genuineness very much so in my top five. And I really appreciate that. I know, you know, we talk about 
sometimes a little bit tongue in cheek confessions on this show, mostly not tongue in cheek. You know, I believe that there is enormous clarity that comes from confessions. And we've had many of our, our show guests have um, enormous breakthroughs even after our interviews. So let me just say that this is a safe space. The audience has a reverence for this, you know, what the intention of our show, which is to be vulnerable and in service of other people's journeys. So thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I'm going to share. So your name of your show is GFR. So we're really about to get fucking real, like for sure. Okay. So we have the addiction, we lost her and question is always what happened. So uh, this is where the genuineness comes in is uh, she decided that she didn't want to be here anymore. So she basically thought that we, as myself and my three children who, when she passed away, were five, seven and nine at the time. Wow. So you know, she basically thought that, you know, her, you can imagine like the self-esteem was chiseling away every day. The energy levels were pretty well non-existent. She really had a lot of difficulty. And I know right now that there's people in your audience listening who are either going through it themselves or there's a very close family member or friend going through it. So I talk about this stuff so that maybe unlike I did, my biggest regret, my biggest wormhole, Lisa, was that I was unable to help her. I was not as supportive as a spouse should be simply because I didn't know what to do. Like, we're not taught this stuff, right? We, right. we don't go to school for these things. Like, this is just real life stuff. I wasn't supportive. I wasn't doing the things that she needed so that she could get better. So if there's someone in your audience, maybe, you know, five years from now, they can say, I heard you on Lisa's podcast. And because of what you said and what you and Lisa talked about, you know, I, I made a change or I helped someone in my family. Like, that would give me a lot of warmth and it's some sort of kind of just um, that whole payback thing for what my wife went through and what my mistake was. Hopefully uh, that sharing with your audience can maybe help them somewhere. Yes. I mean, this is where, you know, know that your struggle serves. This is what makes it have purpose. And so what was your wife's name? It was uh, Elizabeth, but everyone used to call her Ella. Ella. So this is Ella's legacy. Right. You know, I so believe in that and in the purpose of tragedy and, you know, you get to live on. You mean your kids are being shaped, have already been shaped and will be shaped by this journey that they've been on. And we hear these stories all the time about people say, no, when I was 14, this did X, Y, Z happened. And, you know, and as a result, I'm a therapist or I've written this book or it doesn't always bring comfort. Sometimes it does. For me, I find it helps me to get through when I feel like it has a purpose. Mm -hmm. So has that been comforting to you? Yes. Over time, right? Like there is a belief I have the time does heal everything. And in 2014, let's say that first year, I would never would imagine I'd be on podcasts and on stages sharing the story and telling people like I was just so wormhole is like the right term. Like it was all internalized. The business I was running at the time, I stopped it. I basically only focused inward with my children, trying to help them get through it and trying to mourn myself. And that first year, yeah, like I cried myself to sleep every night, right? Like the shock of it all, of losing your spouse and then losing her in that way, it's just, yeah, it's really tough to put into words even. But yeah, after that first year, just the healing started really happening. But it took me a lot longer. I thought it was maybe a one year, two year sabbatical, ended up being about four years. Wow. I mean, just to be able to give yourself that gift of those four years. Oh, right. 
And it was interesting, you said you listened to Maribel uh, Jimena's episode on From Overdose yes. to Superwoman, right? And you know, she talked about taking 30 days off and just figuring out what the heck happened. You know, and one of our commandments is know that sometimes stopping is the most lucrative action to take. And I did an episode about it about a month ago. And it is, it's so confronting. And yet it's like, if that thing is actually going to have a meaning, you know, and a purpose, it's like, it needs like fine wine, <laughs> you know, it yeah. needs time. Not that I drink wine, but I, what I've heard, <laughs> you know, they need time to breathe, you know, yeah. and for that wisdom and that healing to drop in. The healing. Yeah. It just, you know, there's no timetable for it. Everyone handles it differently. I just uh, looked at it and said, yeah. Uh, and by the way, the reason I was able to do that was because my wife and I took steps to build a real estate portfolio once my first child was born. So financially, that's what I did for the sabbatical was I just sold a property and just kind of took it easy. And just again, inwardly focused, you know, like when a cat is in a little fight, they just come home and they lick their wounds and they curl up in a corner. That's kind of exactly the way I felt. It was just drive my kids to school, pick them up every day and spend as much time as I could with them. That was really all I had in my mind for those basically four years. And but prior to that, yes. what was your role in the family? Yeah, that was more like, uh, let's just say they favored mama because mama spent the most time with them. Mama took care of them, made them food, all that stuff. So I was more the disciplinarian type, definitely more outside focused, right? Business, real estate, networking events, all that stuff. So yes, my wife definitely had... Uh, you know, their hearts uh, where she spent the most time with them, very much so. So on your sabbatical, I mean, you were thrust into almost like a new oh. world, oh. right? You probably didn't even know what time they went to school or what they ate for breakfast or... Completely, completely, Lisa. You hit it right on the head. Playdates. Who are their best friends? Who do they, whose houses do they go to? Like, none of this stuff. Where, when are their lessons? I knew absolutely nothing. I basically, that's why I had to take the sabbatical. I just knew that I knew that she passed away. I knew immediately my life had changed. I didn't quite know how, but I knew that there was going to be big changes and I just couldn't deal with anyone else's stuff, any clients, any, anything. I had a, a good business. I was running a marketing agency at the time, mobile marketing. We were teaching people, business owners, how do you get business from customers' phones? That's what I was teaching in 2012 and 13, but I all had to shut down and just had to internally focus. Was there a business partner that you had at the time that you had to like extricate yourself? No, there was no business partner. I tended to shy away from partnerships. I had a pretty bad experience about 20 years ago in a nightclub of all things. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that one did not have a partner. Okay. So can we talk a little bit about the addiction? Because I feel like this is part of now your expertise is having walked through that. And, you know, I always say that wormhole certification, as far as I'm concerned, is better than any credential from anybody studying at any university that you can have. Yep. And, you know, an oxy addiction is, thank goodness, very much in the media right now. And, you know, I love TV and I watch a lot of, you know, legal and, you know, mm -hmm. hospital and medical and, you know, police, and it's all over the narratives and the storylines that are being written. And I guess, what is it that you want us to know? Because, you know, like you said, you never would have expected that. However, it sounded like what you were seeing was, you know, she was probably a bit depressed. You know, there was probably some pre-existing things that sort of, what is it that you want our listeners to know about it? Well, I mean, like, again, we were relying on the doctor's advice. Okay. Plain and simple. He gave a prescription. And I honestly, this is part of me saying I wasn't doing the right supportive thing. 
I didn't even know for about the first year that she had this addiction. I had no clue. Okay. Until one day I was looking for something and she was sitting there and I said, is it in your purse? She's like, yeah, I reached into the purse and I saw a pill bottle and the date on it was just like, whatever, 14 days old. And it was a 90 day prescription and it was almost finished. And I was like, what is going on here? What's this all about? And that was the first time she told me. And it was the first time I recognized, it took me a full year, just sometimes. So what I want people to pay attention to is, is you're in this relationship and then we get so busy in our everyday life and our kind of roles that sometimes we just forget to connect with each other. So the supportiveness there or the support that you're supposed to provide your spouse, I wasn't providing it for that. I was financially was doing okay, but that stuff wasn't. So A is please just stay connected if you can, have a date night, et cetera. Now, when it comes to the actual pills, this is the other thing I wish I had done. I wish I had taken the pill bottle from her and I would give her the pills just to help her not get addicted, not fall into the thing of this feel. And she described it to me, right? She said, it's like a magic carpet ride. Like that's the way she described it. So she was, you know, at some level, there was some peace there. There was some pain relief there. There was some, you know, relief. And I just didn't understand it. So I would also suggest that, especially if you find someone getting addicted to something, then yeah, you want to get them help, which again, I didn't drag her by the hand and take her somewhere and say, we're going to go. She convinced me that she didn't want the help, that no one, no one was going to help her and that she didn't believe it, that she could get better. And I just, for whatever reason, not wanting to argue, I just kind of let it be. So those three things right there, uh, if you can control the actual distribution of these, these are narcotics, like these are powerful, powerful narcotics. If you can support them in relationships, I mean, like that is just massive. So these are things I didn't do. I wish I did them. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I just had foot surgery and it was really interesting to go through the process of all the different uh, gatekeepers around narcotics and the pain meds and, you know, how much pressure you get to take them, you know, and advice. I mean, pressure sounds negative, but they implore you, like you're going to be in a freaking lot of pain. And they just, you can tell they've gotten a lot of pushback. They have, there's a lot of fear around them, which yeah. is good, I guess, right? They even give you the opportunity to get a prescription for something that helps you get off them before you even get on them, which is like, I mean, and I had a conversation with my husband about it because I was in a 12-step program for food addiction in my early 20s and 30s. I don't consider myself sort of an addictive personality person. Food was really my thing. And then once I put that down, I didn't seem to pick something else up, although it's way more common for sort of just sort of transfer those addictions along. I don't know. Maybe I just, I think I just did a ton of shit ton of inner work that I didn't (laughs) transfer it to something else. And he said to me, you know, I'm not worried because you get it. Like, you know what addiction feels like, you know, when you're checking out, like, you know, we even like laugh, we'll watch a movie and we're like, all right, time to turn our brains up, you know, like, you know, (laughs) you know, the healthy things that we could use to numb out and shut down and almost in a conscious way, you know, or, you know, we could joke now about like, all right, this ice cream is going to make everything feel better, you know, (laughs) but you know, and at the same time, knowing full well, it ain't, (laughs) I feel like I had a, like a, I brushed with, and it wasn't oxy that they prescribed me. I was very aware of how it made me feel. And, you know, it was very interesting to sort of kind of observe the process. And, you know, the goal was to get off as soon as possible, um, which was for me, I think it was three days and I'm still in pain 
you know, now I'm four weeks out and I could see how easy it is, right, to just kind of rely on that thing, that crutch that you've been given. That's what exactly was happening with Ella, right? Three young kids, hustle, bustle, busy, busy. And then, oh, here's my relief. Like, it's just, it's my easy thing, right? It's my easy pill. Yeah. yeah and just to keep easy. going on the hamster wheel, like the things that we do just to keep going. That's right. right? So she was like, feel, probably felt like she could not take a break. She couldn't take time, you know, like she just had to keep going. And how many of us feel that same way? They got to go to school the next day. They got to get fed. They have laundry. Yeah, it's nonstop. Nonstop and children for sure. Yeah. So she passes away. You're left with your five, seven, and nine-year-old. And this just acute awareness of like, I wasn't there for her. And and now you're learning more and more the ways that you could have been there for her. And you have the blessing because of your side business that was real estate or side thing that you took a sabbatical. You thought it was going to be a couple of years. It winds up being four years. So what happens during that sabbatical in terms of how your life is transformed and what you learn? And Sure. So I think it was even touched on on Maribel's episode. It was the, the fact about taking care of yourself. I remember like literally hundreds of people coming to her funeral. I remember hundreds of people reaching out on social media, offering their condolences. But quite honestly, all of it pretty well is a blur, except for one, a good friend of mine, he was at the funeral and he said, Jay, please take care of yourself so that you can take care of your kids. And for whatever reason, that was the one, the one piece of advice or the one wish that for some reason stuck. Mm-hmm. So let, still that first year, uh, that really wasn't happening at that point. It was just still so much recovery and mourning going on. It, but in the subsequent years, yes, I started uh, putting the practice of meditation into my day. Every day, I basically meditate. Beautiful. What uh, kind of meditation do you do? Just the simple, you know, you put the app, the phone app, and 10 minutes to 15 minutes every day. Beautiful. And I notice a big difference when I do Oh, that. yes. Oh, yes. I do transcendental meditation and I have an app. It's, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. So that, then some combination of just eating a lot better. Because again, one of my previous businesses was a restaurant. So I was always eating at my restaurant. Oh, I'm seeing a pattern here. Nightclub, restaurant. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, those are all previous experiences. And that let's decipher that. Those are experiences where maybe I was chasing the dollar or chasing a lot of fun. Okay. One of the two. And like, that's what I was doing. But then afterwards, now we'll fast forward, uh, the prepared father's business. No, that's completely mission driven, right? So it's all, there's so much messaging behind it. But you also asked what else? So meditation, eating a lot healthier, but most importantly, it was just spending time with my children. Like literally, I was there like every single day. Like I pick them up, I drop them off, I spend time with them, I take them to their lessons. And I do this all just to make sure they're recovering and or healing or whatever the right word is. I say to them often that, look, guys, your mom passed away. And the one thing I taught them was, you know, good things happen in life, bad things happen in life. The only thing you control is how you react to any of it. So yes, they had to learn this at a very young age, but they learned it. Those are the cards that they were dealt in life. So now I can see years later how that lesson is. Like they don't tend to get upset over kind of what we'll call molehills right? I tell them to focus on their mountains and the mountains are what you spend your time and energy on. I think other people call them rocks. Rocks versus sand is what I've also heard them called before. I like mountains versus molehills. So yeah, so there's still lesson, like even though it's the most painful experience of my life, there's still lessons that came out of it. Earlier you said that's her legacy. Yeah. What I do with these three children is really the legacy that I can leave for her. 
And uh, that's, yeah, that's what I believe. I appreciate that. And it must have taken a lot. You know, like part of you probably so ready for your, just your own healing to unplug from other things. And I just know I've had a recent, there was something recently that happened in my family and I watched a family member turn towards their kids in a way that they hadn't before. Mm. And, you know, and they didn't know when the soccer game was and they didn't know (laughs) was on the shopping list and they didn't know, like, they didn't know all these things. And the hardest part it seemed at times was answering the kids' questions. You know, it's like you're dealing with your own grief and now you're answering, you know, five, seven, and nine, where's mom? I can't fucking imagine having to have that conversation, you know, while you're having your own grief. And then also while you're seeing glimpses of like, this has a purpose, there's something here for me. Very true. The first day that it happened, I picked them up from school and my youngest asked me, where's mama? Right. They didn't know they were at school. And um, we took a drive to my parents' house and they're waiting for me were two police youth counselors. And they were the ones, they were there to help me somehow tell my five, seven and nine year old that their mom had died earlier that day. Most difficult, painful thing that I've ever, ever, ever gone through. And yeah, not easy. You just say it, tears are streaming. They're like, what happened? What's going on? And then when you tell them and they start crying, yeah, it's very, very, very powerful stuff that that happens there. But uh, that was, yeah, I wish that upon nobody. But uh, that's what happened. How did you decide whether or not to tell them that she decided to take her own life? Um, I just decided to be very upfront. Again, that genuineness thing that I value. I'm even genuine with them, even at five, seven and nine. I didn't get into all details and everything. But I basically outlined what had happened. They had seen their mom, obviously, right? Like, kind of struggling yeah like they saw she was in bed a lot that she didn't have energy so it wasn't like they didn't know the pill part they weren't aware of you know like taking your own life they don't quite they didn't quite get it but I did share it that way and say listen this is what happened and uh I didn't want them to ever hear it from anyone else yes that's the main reason right and I just wanted them to have an understanding of this is what actually happened to your mom Right. And what she was potentially going through when this happened. So that I, I wanted to share that with them. Yes. Yeah. I, I really have a lot of respect for that. I mean, it's the way that my husband and I parent, you know, we have an only child. Mm-hmm. So it inherently comes with transparency, I think, because she's not distracted by talking with siblings in the car or whatever. There's just more, you know, she's just more readily exposed to our communication. And, and we get a lot of comments often about how, People forget how old she is when they talk with her. Mm. You know, she's mature, however they say it. But I think there's just so much value into just just a straight talk with them. You know, like the, the podcast is confessions and straight talk, right? There's just <laughs> I just believe that you know there's a lot of growing up that they could do younger when we no, no. straight talk with them, particularly like around finances. You know, um, big time. Yeah. So let's transition to where you realize like what I'm learning and what I'm realizing, there's something here for me to share with others. Yes. Great question. So it was during the sabbatical, there was an experience of, I was the executor of my wife's estate. Okay. So she had a couple of properties in her name, bank accounts, kind of standardish stuff. All right. And I am educated and trained university wise as an accountant. Okay. So I'm an accountant. I basically have been an entrepreneur ever since the day before 25, when I promised my parents, I'll never work for anyone after 25. That's the last job I ever had 20 plus years ago and a real estate investor. 
So you would think with these three kind of skill sets that being an executor would be okay, whatever, I'll, I'll handle it. Yeah. It was, it was difficult. And then I just started asking other fathers because unfortunately when your wife passes away, when you're talking with other guys, I was just bringing it up and saying, hey guys, like if something unfortunately happened to you, would your family know what to do? Would your family know where the stuff is, the financial stuff, not the emotional, the financial stuff? And pretty well everybody said, no, we're not ready. We're not prepared. We wouldn't know. My wife wouldn't know. And then I was like, that's not cool because this is relevant to every household, right? A lot of subjects are only relevant to specific households. This is finance. We live in a first world country. This is relevant to everybody. And that's when I realized, I go, wait a second, there's so many fathers out there, uh, by the way, who were kind of just, they kind of inherited the role right. of overseeing family finances. They also weren't trained necessarily. Like if they weren't an accountant like me, then they weren't trained on any of this stuff. They're just kind of doing it. And then what if they were doing it wrong? So then I was like, well, I know this stuff. And even I, you know, I had a will, I had a bunch of stuff in order, but things like her passwords, the location of her safe deposit box key. I had no idea where it was. Try and deal with a bank wow. when your spouse passes away and you have to open up a safe deposit box. Like, brutal. So these are all things that are on top of emotional mourning, this stuff. So I just determined that if fathers are having trouble with this, there's where Prepared Fathers was born. And it is, my mission is to basically financially empower fathers. Whether that means in their preparation for life curveballs, maybe if it means wealth building for their family to secure their family's future, whatever that is, if it's financial, that's how I help fathers, is making sure that those questions get answered and we can get that all straight because it's relevant to everybody. So that's where Prepared Fathers was born. I love it. And I love the name. I feel it's so honoring of the role of fathers instead of just like financial security, financial, you know. It's just, there is an honoring of that patriarchal role, you know, that I think is beautiful. You know, it's funny, you know, here's my confession. You know, one of my core fears is just that, is having to pick up things, you know, after, and my mind, you know, is just gone. It's like, okay, what would I do? And yeah. so, because that is a, a wound of mine or fear, and my, my husband is fucking on the ball, but like we created a password vault that we share, which yes. probably one of the things that you, you know, that you talk about, yes. it was like so fundamental. Like it was so, you know what I mean? And, and, it, and it is a modern day problem, right? Like our parents weren't worrying about passwords. They were like, where's the key to the filing cabinet that has the papers, <laughs> you know, right. right? Which is most of where our parents' shit is right now, you know? But like that was, a, you know, just one thing that we did that for me felt like, okay, at least I would know where to go. You know, I would have all the passwords. Very important, very necessary. But the beauty is you do it once and then you maybe update it once a year and you're fine. Like, that's great. But not doing it, that's kind of negligent. That's where financial negligence comes in versus doing it once. That's where, you know, financial preparedness comes in. That's what I graduate. That's what I want fathers to graduate to is being prepared fathers. Yes, yes, so much. I have a longtime client who is in a state planning attorney. So for like five years, I've been in this conversation with her about how freaking hard it is to get people to care about this and create urgency around it. Like until something is, might happen or something happened to a friend or, you know, or, you know, maybe they're going on a trip. They might actually, you know, think about that. You know, people just don't, they just don't want to think about that. So I, That's right. I love that you are, I think that you are, uh, putting a spotlight on a topic that is super important 
and you have this firsthand experience that you can draw on to implore on like an estate, you know, one of the things we talk about with my client is like, we don't want to always play on people's fears, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of gets, it gets a little bit of icky, but I feel like you authentically could be like, listen, this is my story. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm an accountant. And I, <laughs> and, I and I found it tough. You're likely to find it tough. There's always emotional stuff in curveballs. When life throws you a curveball, there's always an emotional thing. And there's a financial thing usually. The best time to handle a financial thing is not during the stressful time. It is certainly before. And it's like people, when we want to prevent anything, right? Like you want to prevent financial negligence or you want to prevent weight gain or you want to prevent a bad relationship. Like it's tough to get people to do the work ahead of time. A lot of people do work as it happens. Or like you said, maybe something happens in their family or a friend and it wakes them up. But I, would, I do want one thing uh, very, very, for your audience, very clear is that if you have children and you have assets, please, right now the stats are only four out of every 10 adults have a will. Please, you must have a will. If you have children and you have assets, because let's just say if unfortunately something happens, one of two things, likely both are going to take place, is that A, there's taxes you pay when you die, estate taxes, probate tax, whatever the words are. If you don't have your wishes documented in a will, there's a likelihood that your family's going to have to pay more than they really should. And the second thing is, and this one's almost certain, it's going to take longer for them to regain control of those assets, which they may need. They may need an asset like a piece of real estate to sell in order to now have money to support themselves. So if you don't have these things in place, that one thing, a will, yeah, that's, uh, that's just putting your family at unnecessary risk. So even if there's one thing your audience can take away from today, mothers or fathers, financial or non-financial, children and assets equals will. You must have one. Define assets for our audience. Okay, assets. So a lot of us live in a house, so there's an asset. We maybe own some stocks or we have a pension plan of some sort. Perhaps we have some collectibles, some jewelry, some art, maybe a car or something like that. Anything which would sit that you could sell and it would bring you money, that's kind of an asset. That's a loose definition of an asset. And you have to list those assets. So, you know, it's just good to have organization there, right? Like where you list everything out, you know, you can maybe track your results all in one place, thoughtfully organized. That's what we work to make sure the fathers have so that they can just share that with their spouse. Here you go. Something ever happens. Look here. That's at the end of the day. That, that would make me very happy. Jay, if you heard somebody say this, what you're saying now to you before your wife's passing, how would you have reacted? First of all, it would have been one of those things where it's like, wow, okay. You know, that's an extraordinary story, but it was unfortunate and sad story. So I would definitely hear, you know, I've heard myself back on a couple of things. I've gotten a lot of feedback from different listeners and audiences And I don't quite know that when I was in the hustle and bustle, if I would have made the change, because I had already kind of heard about this stuff, right? In my account. Right. right. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, you know, if you can go back to your old self and kind of. Yeah. I would have done kind of the whole thoughtfully organize the information in one place thing. So let's just say I went about halfway. Okay. I did the wills. Uh, My wife knew where they were. She was my executor. I was her executor, all that stuff. But again, these other little steps. I didn't take them back then. Maybe I didn't know to, or maybe I did know, and I just didn't get around to it. Life got in the way, yada, yada, right? Like a lot of us have these types of stories we tell ourselves. But I'm also a big believer, one of the other things I've learned now is, is that whatever is important to you, you will make time for. 
So even if it's a short amount of time, like to get these things organized in seven days, 14 days, you'll do it. If you want to lose weight, you'll make time. You'll do it like to exercise and all that. So again, um, maybe I would have, uh, I would have been, sh you know, definitely shocked at the story, but hopefully I wouldn't have sh turned my back totally and said, oh, that's not going to happen to me or something like that. That that's the one thing I don't want your audience to take away that it won't happen to them. Uh, trust me in 2011, right? When we were three children in building a real estate portfolio, busy, busy, busy. I never thought it would happen to me too, but it did three years later. So yeah, hopefully the audience can really get to that is uh, take some steps now to graduate to this financial preparedness. You'll just sleep better at night. You won't feel guilty and you'll, your family will be able to handle all the ledge curve balls for sure. Nice. Financially, financially. I want a, a little bit of zooming in like on a map. When you first sort of had this notion of helping people with this, like lots of people have ideas and yeah. lots of people have experiences and they're like, damn, I'd love to help other people with this, but they don't, and many of them are listening, you know, but they don't necessarily do anything with it. So can you give us a little bit more insight or sort of like front row seat to how it got from just sort of this idea and you having head down and focusing on your family to the place where you actually started to name it and stuff. <laughs> sure. Great question. So basically, uh, like I said, last day I ever worked for anyone was the day before I turned 25. So it was 20 plus years ago. So over the 20 plus years, lots of different businesses, a couple of restaurants, nightclub, marketing agency, real estate investing, etc. A lot of those were in the pursuit of profit. Okay. Chasing the dollar. Because again, I was kind of the breadwinning spouse. So I just had to do what I had to do, support my family. This is the first ever business, Lisa, where I just thought instead of thinking about money, it is how do I want to be remembered in this world? What's my legacy going to be? I had those thoughts. And a young, yeah, I'm in my mid-40s, right? In my mid-40s, I'm having these conversations. And then it's like the words impact and value came up. How can I make an impact, right? And you just look at all your experiences. You look at your conversations, all those conversations I was having with fathers. And then you also notice what are other people asking me about? Because that's where they think I can add value to them. So when you combine impact and value, like I know what I'm talking about and impact, I know I can help other people. And I'm a member of that group fathers. Let's tie it all together. That's what marries it all. So this was the first business that didn't have a dollar thing behind it. I knew dollars are going to flow as long as I provided value and I impacted people. Right. I know that all comes and we're like, you know, this was started in late 2018. So, you know, I'm very happy with the way people have responded. About a year into shared. it now yeah. when this interview yeah. airs. Yeah. Share the message and everything like that. It means a lot to me, right? When people reach out to me and, and say, this is how you help me. I, there's a saying I read recently was my hobby is to find out how I've impacted your life. Right. So if I can do that, that's just really great. At the end of the day, and that's showing my kids, by the way. The one thing about all of these things, by the way, is there is an enormous secondary benefit. It is you teach your kids and you, you're teaching them to be great financially by being a great role model financially yourself. There's the impact and value for generations. That's really what I'm going for here is not only teaching fathers, it's so they can teach their children. Beautiful. Yes. You know, I often say that when you're trying to motivate change and, you know, when I work with clients more closely, once we get clear on what makes them happy, what feels good with their business, 
you know, we do get back into my mastery around marketing and it's like, how do you motivate the people you want to help to make a change? And oftentimes it is like, it is your kids are watching, you know, like do it. If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your kids. That's right. So I think that's what we're saying to our listeners is like, find your motivations. If you're connecting with this and you see the wisdom of it and you're appreciating Jay's story and what he went through and Ella's legacy, it's like, and you want to take action on it. You got to decide what is your motivation. You haven't said this directly, but I'm gathering it indirectly that you're suggesting that we, they do put some kind of timeline on or create a deadline for taking this action. Is that one of the things that you teach? Yeah. Some people are organized. Some people are not. Some people have files all over the place, right? Like they might have some on their hard drive, some on their phone. Let's just get all of that stuff organized. Based on your level of commitment, this could be done in as little as seven days, maybe 28 days if you need some more time to find stuff. This is not a long-term commitment. This is just the leverage though is amazing because you do it that one time, but the payoff is year after year after year when you're doing your taxes. If you're going to apply for a loan or a mortgage, you're going to need all this stuff in one place. So there's all these little benefits to it, but at the end of the day, it is so you have peace of mind that your family's protected no matter what happens to you. There's the biggest benefit of what I talk about. No matter what happens to you, your family's looked after. That's, again, at the end of the day, that's what makes you a prepared father or a prepared parent in this case. Beautiful. In our wrapping things up, is there anything that you additionally want to share about what you learned during your sabbatical? Yeah, so we've talked about the molehills and mountains. We've talked about taking care of yourself. Those were two massive things, which maybe I didn't pay a lot of attention to before. But then at the end of the day, you know, in business and stuff, sometimes you're, you're known as a tough negotiator or stuff like that, and maybe not the optimal boss. But at the end of the day, it really is all about how are you going to help people? How are you going to help people? What can you teach them that maybe other people don't teach them? Or what way can you teach them that subject that other people don't teach? And just based on the story of my experience in my life, which again, I don't wish upon anybody to go through, but I went through it. And those are the cards that I was dealt. So it's play the cards you're dealt, be adaptable. And I think at the end of the day, we can live long, fulfilling lives. There's this little thing in life, right? That there's a science of achievement, but then there's the art of fulfillment. The one thing I learned during the sabbatical was I didn't rely on anyone else to fulfill me outside of maybe my children. I reached inside for that fulfillment just by knowing that, okay, Jay, be a good person, put good stuff out there in the world, take care of your kids, et cetera, et cetera. And that at the end of the day has given me a lot of peace is that art of fulfillment piece of it is you can't rely on anyone else to make you happy or fulfilled. Like it's just not, that doesn't work. You have to bring it from within. Beautiful. Well said. Jay, it's been awesome to be in this conversation with you. I thank you. I thank Ella for her legacy and your kids. And um, it's been great to get to know you. And I know that our conversation is going to help a lot of people. That's fantastic, Lisa. And let me also say thank you for you know, bringing me on the show and asking great questions. Hopefully your audience got a lot of value out of it. I trust that they have. (laughs) Thanks, Jay. Well, I hope that was the wake-up call that we intended it to be and giving meaning to the legacy of Jay's late wife and the journey his kids have been through. I hope that you will take advantage of his ultimate guide to financial preparedness. There's a link in the show notes. And it gives you a three-step process to just get started thinking about it. It's a great time of year 
to do this. Give yourself a deadline, especially if this has been something that's been in the back of your mind. Let's move it to the forefront of your mind. You know, with the GFR show, we are, we're about getting real and we're about waking up and facing the things that are slowing us down, limiting our growth, keeping us small. This is a big one. For you to feel integrity around being smart about your finances, particularly if you have children, um, you'll just sleep better at night. So I hope that you'll um, use this show and Jay's uh, story as a motivator to take some really smart action. Jay's GFR commandment that he most appreciated was number four, trust that your struggle serves. And gosh, is he such a great example of that. And so make sure you also have your GFR commandments because that is your roadmap for getting real. Probably if you answer the confession question that most hits you in the gut, if this is a piece for you, this would be illuminated as something that you needed to to really face. So make sure you grab your commandments at gfr.life forward slash 12C. And if you are in our GFR squad membership community, um, he does some really great training on how to oversee your family finances on your smartphone. Easier said than done for me which really is the challenge in this day and age is that we can be very financially messy, right? Things everywhere, you know, multiple computers and phones and laptops and passwords. And it's important. This is really important, y'all. I hope that you will take this as a challenge to take some action and get real in this area of your life. Until next time, bye-bye for now.